Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores seeking through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Suchere. Something occurred to me, it's 41 now, something occurred to me, uh, given my belief that we're witnessing a great paradigm shift in what we have always understood to be the news, right? Yep. Uh, there's a New York Times piece today, a headline, The Many Meanings of Black Panther's Mask, referring to the comic book superhero Black Panther, which is now a movie. Uh, which either has or is expected to break box office records. And is the only movie that uh, all film companies are allowed to promote during Black History Month. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's written by Kwame Opam. And... While it does acknowledge uh, Sterling K. Brown, a star of Black Panther, is thrilled at the prospect of children, black and white, dressing up as the title character. This Halloween, the first time I see a little kid, a white kid, dressed up as Black Panther, I'm taking a picture, he said. You better believe I'm taking a picture because that's the crossover. Chadwick Boseman, who plays Black Panther in the film, had already witnessed said crossover. He said in the same interview with BuzzFeed, I've seen little white kids dressed up as T'Challa. I've seen pictures and I've seen it in person. Black Panther costumes, whether the character's full raiment or just his claws and mask, are on toy store shelves in anticipation of the film's Feb 16 release. Uh, at best, the character gets up. At best, the character get up speak to the enthusiastic embrace of a black superhero. At worst, they could be perceived as an unwitting form of cultural appropriation, Mm. which has in recent years become a subject of discourse. What does that dual significance mean for children and perhaps more urgently? What does it mean for the parents who will buy the costumes for them? I'm I'm driving towards my point. as parents, or even as the people creating costumes, we need to be very aware of what that says, says Bridget Vitrup, an associate professor of early childhood development and education at Texas Women's University. There's not a whole lot of black superheroes, she said, so this is really an important thing, especially for black kids growing up. Many parents, this is the back to the reporter Kwame Opam, Many parents are split on how Black Panther's blackness should figure into their children's relationship to the character. Uh, 
This will not occur to any parent. This has only occurred to the New York Times. That was my observation. Maybe I'm maybe I'm making an observation that many GLers have made a long time ago. This isn't news. This is the New York Times. In this case, somebody named Kwame Opam with one hell of a Rolodex who calls a, a professor of children's studies at a university and said, and says, is that is this going to be a problem? And, of course, she's in the business right. in the failed academy. Come to, to Papa. To, to, Come to know, Mama. You're, you're in my wheelhouse now, right. Mr. New York Times reporter. Uh, of course this is a problem. Uh, and why is it a racial problem? It's not a racial. Uh, <laughs> kids, you know, some 8-year-old kid who wants to see the Black Panther or wear the Black Panther mask is not thinking about black or white. Right. He doesn't see that He's actor as the black Black Panther. He just is a superhero. Many parents are split, and, and uh, that's a we don't know that. Yeah, uh, how many? I'd like to know how many. What are his numbers? Many parents are split on how Black Panther's blackness should figure into their children's relationships to the character. There is no relationship with the character. It's a cartoon. Right. All Every eight-year-old boy. Stan up, Lee wrote this right. 50 years ago. They want to do what the Black Panther can do. Some argue that placing racial boundaries around expressions of fandom is unnecessary. I'm actually wondering now what it might be like for that parent who's not of color if his kid comes home and says, I want to dress up like Black Panther, said Katrina Jones, 39, the director of human resources at Vimeo. When I look at it, I see no reason why a kid who's not black can't dress up like Black Panther, just like our kid who's not white dresses up like Captain America. I think the beautiful thing about comics is that they transcend race in a lot of ways. Okay. Mary Dematkali, 29, a social media and marketing manager in Rockland County, New York, echoed that idea. She does not believe that her fiancé, seven-year-old son, Sawyer, that's Foghornable, who was white, sees the film or its characters through the lens of race. Sawyer himself, during the interview with Miss Dematkali, said, sure, when she asked if he'd like to dress up as a Black Panther or as Black Panther. For a white kid to be so open and judge based on the character's story and the personality and history. I think that's what's important, she said. But on the flip side, I think it's also great to have a black superhero you can identify and connect to. All right. Uh, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby in 1966, Black Panther rules as the king of an African technological utopia known as Wakanda. Mm. I didn't know that. I, didn't know, I, don't, I don't know anything about Black Panther. I, I don't know a lot about the comic book. Untouched by European invaders, Wakanda exists apart from the legacies of colonization and racism. All right. Uh, some parents have felt pressure to hammer home Black Panther's heroism through the lens of race. According to the New York Times, but I defy anyone listening to this show to identify a parent who was worried about whether the kid should or should not like Black Panther based on race. I defy anyone to identify for me that parent. Yeah, I'd like to see that. This is a made-up problem by the New York Times. Why do they feel the need to to force those problems? Why can't they just report? There's enough news out there to report on. <clears throat> Suppose they want to stay relevant for their readers. Uh, 
Well, here we get into the privilege. White people have the privilege of not constantly being reminded of their race in the United States where white is the majority, whereas as a black person, you don't, said uh, uh, somebody. I don't know who. Who cares? Uh, Mrs. Ms. Vitrip was careful to add that dressing as Black Panther isn't inherently appropriative or offensive. The character comes from an invented African country, and to wear his mask isn't quite the same as wearing blackface. However, in a moment where even more black heroes like Luke Cage and Black Lightning are finding their way into the limelight, Black Panther's relationship with the black community and its history creates an opportunity to teach non-black children about the black experience. Well, it dawned on me that the New York Times has attracted to its staff, by design, I would argue, the kinds of people who are predisposed to look for things like this and then invent the imagined discussion. You notice they didn't even call it a controversy because it isn't one. But people uh, predisposed to invent a discussion about cultural appropriation and whether it's okay if a white kid or, uh, wears the mask or what have you. Mr. and Mrs. America, you, you know, you could fall back on an old trite phrase here. This is why Trump won. The average parents in America uh, aren't, aren't anticipating the arrival of a movie this weekend called Black Panther and then are suddenly worried about whether their child, how their child will react in, the, in terms of wanting to buy that mask or what have you. It's utter B as in B, S as in S, invented out of whole cloth. Now, I don't like the term fake news because I don't, I don't even know what it refers to half the time. But I would say this is fake news. It's fake to imagine that there is a controversy about this. There isn't one. Do you know one? Do you, do you have any uh, you uh, parents of similar age children of yours that are having this conversation? Do you? No, I'm talking to Absolutely you, moron. Not. Okay, yeah, I didn't know you were talking to me. I thought you were rhetorically asking. No, I'm not rhetorically uh, asking. We, no, we don't. Uh, I, there's no issues. It's and not an issue. I'm trying to also find on their website to see if there are any comments. But people... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if Kwame Opam... Look that up for me. Kwame, K-W-A-M-E. O-P-A-M. I should verify whether Kwame Opam is a New York Times staffer. Let's see. Kwame Opam, the New York Times journalist. Okay. Muckrack. Um, and there aren't many papers that would do this. Uh, the New York Times, which uh, I only look for uh, the obituaries, which I think are fantastic. He, he calls himself an editor. Mm -hmm. Digital storytelling and training at New York Times, formerly at The Verge, mm -hmm. Black Nerd Wakanda Forever. I don't know what Wakanda is. Wakanda, if you were listening to the show, is the mythical uh, oh. kingdom where uh, Black oh, where Panther they are. reigns. So, in other words, he's thrilled with the movie. and, and but, but the idea gets planted that 
that America is having a has is having angst about whether the child uh, would engage in cultural appropriation by merely a enjoying this uh, fantasy or b uh, wanting to have mom uh, take the kid to Walmart or whatever and get the mask. It's not. It's not a. It's not a story. Right. It's not a story. You see what I'm saying about but, but we're in what? the middle of a new paradigm of confusion here? There is no story here. And even though there's no story, it's getting front page coverage on newspapers and radio stations everywhere. It's the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Souchere. And John Height from his newsroom with an update on a school shooting in Parkland, Florida, which is very near Boca Raton on the east coast of Florida. Yeah, there is not a uh, lot of uh, new information. The biggest item, though, to pass along is that the shooter, according to the Sheriff's Department, is still at large. So that's the big news. Uh, And they said, uh, early reports said at least 20 had been wounded in some capacity. It's at the Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. Uh, There are at least 20 people who have been shot. 20? Yes. But no deaths reported. Uh, No deaths yet, but obviously everything is very sketchy at this point. Uh, They are evacuating some students. Uh, They uh, were showing lots of video on all the news channels of students coming out. However, uh, while it looks like a large number of students are being evacuated, it's probably only one area of the school, according to the, quote, experts that have been on the FBI folks, because the school has 3,000 students. Wow. Uh, so there's probably still a lot inside, and they uh, also the Sheriff's Department also has put out a, a tweet telling any teachers and students who are in rooms, who are locked in rooms, to stay in the rooms until further notice. Again, the shooter, they say, is still at large. So uh, that's about all we know at this point. All right, thank you. You bet. I want to revisit the resignation of the resilience officer in Minneapolis. Yes. Uh, Her name is Kate Knuth. She's been on the job seven months and resigned. She has been uh, paid uh, by means of a Rockefeller fund. So the taxpayers in Minneapolis did not necessarily uh, get stuck for her uh, payment. She was hired for the grant-funded position in June. Knuth was responsible for responding to challenges facing the city, which range from low graduation rates for black students to the risk of spills from trains hauling hazardous materials to severe weather stoked by climate change. <laughs> Knuth, an severe environmental... weather stoked by climate change. Knuth, an environmental educator and former DFL legislator, spent her first months in the job interviewing people and conducting a survey, but had not delivered any work product before she resigned. All right. It might very well be that she resigned because she had a sense of ethics. Well, okay. There's not a a damn thing for me to do here. uh, Minneapolis was named one of the one of 100 resilient cities around the world by the Rockefeller Foundation in June and given a grant of $129,508 per year to pay the salary and benefits for someone to fill the job for two years. 
The Rockefeller Foundation defines resilience as the capacity of individuals, communities, institutions, businesses, and systems within a city to survive, adapt, and grow, despite natural disasters or chronic stresses such as food and water shortages, an overtaxed transportation system, endemic violence, or high unemployment. Well, what the hell do you have a mayor and city council for? Right. Aren't they under that umbrella? Now, in St. Paul, we are being having $105,000 a year stolen from us. And I'm not saying that lightly because Melvin Carter, who has insulated himself with 12 uh, to 13 people uh, who will answer for him instead of him, he named Russ Stark, a former Fourth Ward Council member, as the chief resilience officer. We didn't ask for it. We don't need it. But we're going to get it. You're paying for it. It's completely made up. Think of $100,000. That could be so much better used elsewhere. And the city of St. Paul says he will promote sustainability strategies aimed at protecting St. Paul families from the effects of climate change. B as in B, S as in S. There is nothing I can do or Russ Stark can do or you can do to protect yourself from the dreamed-up notion of climate change. Russ, if there was a chief resiliency officer 10,000 years ago, how would you have prevented the development of Lake Superior? Because presumably <laughs> you would have been opposed to the climate changing. Right. The climate always is changing. I, I tell you... One of these days. One of these days what? Going to the boathouse. It's not coming back and up. not right. coming back up. That's $105,000 taken out of the general fund of St. Paul for taxpayers to pay for this fellow to be something called the chief resilience officer. And there, there is not a damn thing he can do. There are many things he will try to do as he dreams them up. From the salon. How long is the council term on uh, the St. Paul City Council? Is it two or four? I'm going to look. I think it's four. I, the only unfortunate thing we're discovering here uh, is that St. Paul uh, did not make the cut for a Rockefeller Foundation grant. Right. It's one thing to have a chief resilience officer paid for by a grant taxpayers uh, presumably did not contribute to and it's quite another which which in in that case the woman in Minneapolis Kate Knut she bailed on her gig even though it was grant funded because we don't we she don't had really, nothing to do yeah. you can read the gobbledygook and say well mayor fry has different objectives and blah 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 no there is nothing for this person to do this is this is redundant employment St. Paul's stuck, though. Not a grant-funded gig. Uh, Russ Dark getting one hundred and five grand plus his benefits. Huh? You're paying for plus it. his benefits and all his other BS to uh, help protect St. Paul families from the effects of climate change. No, no, he's not. That's not the truth. There's no truth in that. It's preposterous. And for you your know, terms, I'm being told you're correct. It's, we'll be back in a moment. Man. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Happy Valentine's Day. That's five.
That's not Mr. T. Here's John Hyde in the newsroom. Thank you, Joe. It's sunny and 41 degrees. This update sponsored by MetaFast. Uh, before we get to the sports headlines and other news, let's talk about what uh, what little is known anyway. That situation in Parkland, Florida. It's at Stoneman Douglas High School. There's an active shooter situation. Not a lot of details, but the Broward County Sheriff's Department does say the shooter is still at large. Rescue workers told a local television station at least 20 people have been injured. Video from news helicopters above showed people being treated on the sidewalks and the streets in the area. Some students are being evacuated, but the school is a large school, well over 3,000 students. Members of local SWAT teams can be seen on video being shown by the various news organizations. Uh, so, again, the Sheriff's Department says it's still an active situation. Shooter still at large. And we don't even know if the shooter is a student. That's correct. No idea whatsoever. There are people, though, who have been shot, according to the Sheriff's Department. So uh, we'll keep you updated if we hear anything new. Uh, again, it's it's very, very fluid, to say the least, right. since the shooter still is on the loose. Sports headlines, Twins pitchers and catchers working out today. A few other position players also showed up early. New closer Fernando Rodney is not there today. He has a family emergency to take care of, the Twins said. His arrival has been delayed. They do expect him in camp tomorrow morning, though. Also absent, Kyle Gibson. He has his arbitration hearing. And Irvin Santana. Irvin had to go to the dock. because uh, That's because of the surgery he had on his finger last week, getting it checked out. So what do they do? A, a, a serious question, not trying to be a smart Alec. What are they doing right now? They they pitchers and catchers go down there, throw to each other, and they just start to play a little toss, huh? That's it. Yeah, okay. They had uh, some nice video, which was nice to see of Phil Hughes throwing from the mound, already able to throw from the mound. We weren't sure if he was going to be able to throw at the Got start it. of the season. So I forgot okay. that he was still a twin. Yeah, that's uh, if he boy if he could return to get even close to what he was three years ago, that would yeah. be. Fabulous for the team. Uh, former Twins news, the White Sox have agreed to a minor league deal with lefty Hector Santiago. It's a homecoming for Santiago, who's now 30 years old. He, of course, uh, was a White Sox. They drafted him in the 30th round of the 2006 draft before trading him away. And one other baseball note, Tito Francona has died. He's the dad of Indians manager Terry Francona. And, uh, of course, all us old folks know that Tito played in the major leagues from 1956 to 1970. 272 lifetime hitter with 125 home runs. Uh, Tito was 84 years old. News notes from today. The Metropolitan Council says developers have added $8.4 billion in investment along current and potential Metrolite rail corridors since the transitways were added to the Twin Cities landscape. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Are is, that they, a we, is that a we don't know that or yeah, does John I, have more information? Hi. It may be... Uh, Maybe an ass statistic, actually. I think so. Right. Uh, We don't know that. Agency says the number could be higher. As many projects along the lines, including 24 or 41 projects on the blue line, have not yet publicly disclosed their project value. The Met Council says it tracks proposed under construction or completed developments along the existing green and blue lines and their proposed extensions. The news comes as funding for future light rail projects remains a sticking point at the legislature and as the BNSF Railway has raised concerns over the extension of the Blue Line to the Northwest Metro. You know, one of the biggest wastes of money with the light rail? The fact that nobody pays to ride it? Well, that's one. (laughs) But an overlooked fact is the fact that they purchased parking meters between, uh, what's the uh, off-road on uh, 94 there and 280? 
don't know. Uh, right at University and, and 280. They have some parking meters as you're traveling west on University that have never been used. Every single day that I've driven by them, huh. nobody has used those parking meters. Okay. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's one for you. Yeah. It's one. Preliminary autopsy reports show a missing Lake Elmo woman whose body was found in Cottage Grove died of hypothermia. 25-year-old Alexandra Arndt was reported missing Saturday after she failed to arrive home. Law enforcement agencies used a helicopter, drone, snowmobiles, and search and rescue dogs to look for Arndt after her car was found along County Road 19. Searchers found her body later that evening in a wooded area more than a mile from where her vehicle was found. Mm. The temps were hovering around zero. Her cell phone was found in her car. Authorities say they're continuing to investigate. If her cell phone was found in her car, mm -hmm. uh, it would suggest that she did not set off to get help. Wouldn't she bring her phone with her? If her car died and she said, boy, I better go find me a light in a farmhouse, mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't you think she would have brought her phone with her? Yes. Yes. Mm. And then I, I don't, I'm unfamiliar with the area. I know it's a little more rural, but it uh, wasn't a snowstorm where you, you kind of went off that beaten path no. where that's very confusing to me. And there, there would have been deep snow off the, off 19. But wouldn't you have stayed on the road? I would think so. Yeah. Some South Minneapolis residents are wondering what's going on with their mail delivery. Well, I would too. This is this is an outrage. It, this horrified me when I read it. Yeah, people living in the Diamond Lake, Hale, and Field neighborhoods have reported their mail hasn't been delivered every day. Didi Siparari said she went three days without getting any mail. Siparari said she had been waiting a number of days for an important package to arrive. That's the end of the world. Another you got to get your mail. <laughs> have to. Another resident, Kim Hagen, said her mailbox has been empty for a number of days. She said she was concerned about whether her sons would ever get their W-2s for tax refunds. The Postal Service wouldn't comment on the specific issue, but did issue a statement. That statement read, The Postal Service strives for timely and accurate service with each mail piece handled and takes disruptions to that service very seriously. Every reported customer concern is actively addressed. Well, that's a BS statement. Utter BS. I hope we don't end up with a guy who's got a garage full of people's mail. Oof. They also added that in the the Postal Service did that inclement weather received in late January can cause mail delays. Well, that, that seems unlikely. Okay, a, a slight delay of what? A day or two? Neither rain nor sleet nor snow. Right? What happened to that motto? Postal Service is asking residents to clear snow from curbside mailboxes, walkways, and steps to help with the issue. Uh, anyone who's experiencing mail delays is asked to call or visit their local post office. Vice President Mike Pence says the White House could have handled the eventual resignation of former Staff Secretary Rob Porter better than it did. In a conversation with Axios's Mike Allen today, Pence said the Trump administration has no tolerance for domestic violence. Asked if Pence still had confidence in Chief of Staff John Kelly in wake of Porter's resignation, the vice president today pointed to Kelly, uh, Kelly's military service and his past uh, as head of the Department of Homeland Security, said he considered Kelly a good man. I see. This is a way to trap these guys. Uh, do you still support him? Yes, I do. Then you support uh, beating your wife. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a catch twenty two. Former GOP presidential nominee Mitt Romney will run for the Senate in Utah. Three people with direct knowledge of the plan told the Associated Press Romney will formally launch his campaign in a video tomorrow. His first public appearance as a Senate candidate is scheduled for Friday in Utah. Sources close to Romney, who's familiar with the announcement, said the video message will be released on social media at about 10 o'clock our time tomorrow. Royal Navy bomb disposal experts have detonated a large World War II device that was recently discovered in the River Thames. 
The bomb, 1,102 pounds, found in the George V. Dock in North Woolwich during construction work at the London City Airport early Sunday. The discovery of the large German explosive prompted the closure of the airport as well as the evacuation of nearby residents from their homes. Royal Navy bomb disposal divers were called to the scene and working with the British Army and the Metropolitan Police made the bomb safe before removing it on Monday. It's a tough story for you, isn't it? It is. The bomb. Really, I've, been, I've been monitoring his bomb talk, <laughs> but I didn't want to interrupt. I just feel for you. Well, I get past it, and I go, yeah, I did a good job, yeah. and there it is again. There it is. You know, like, it's in, in there capital capital six letters. times. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, italics, bold. Uh, it was five foot long, a tapered end what shell. Was? The bomb. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it flo- it floated uh, was floated down the River Thames at take it to. How the hell do you? Fl- I suppose they buoyed it up somehow. Yeah, after they uh, removed all the explosives. What a big orange collar life jacket on it. Taken to a Ministry of Defense facility at Shuberiness in Essex. Bad weather had prevented the Royal Navy from detonating the bomb in the waters off Shuberiness yesterday. It was successfully blown up today, sending a large plume of water into the air. It was a very cool video. I saw that. They yeah. blew this. This thing would have blown up. Yes, it would have. Right. You know what it sounds like when it blows up? Hmm. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> At seven. I don't know why you're counting. How many do I get? A dozen. You got none. I get a dozen. About a hundred. <laughs> don't tell me that, John. And here's then John, I will. Uh, here's uh, uh, here's uh, John, you'll continue to watch yes. the Florida situation. Will, then we'll bring in Dave yep. Dahl. Here's Dave Dahl. Thank you, Joe. We're up to 40. It's just a gorgeous spring-like afternoon outside. Decrease or increasing clouds later on tonight. It's going to stay mild for overnight lows, 25 south winds at around 5 to 10. Tomorrow, cloudy skies drizzle, some light snow developing in the afternoon. It does appear as though it's going to slow down the afternoon commute a little bit, but it's really not going to amount to much. High temperature of around 32 in the morning. Temperatures falling uh, into the 20s for the afternoon, though. Northwest winds are around 5 to 10 for the afternoon tomorrow. Evening snow, very light snow, and then clearing skies late. Low down to 2 above tomorrow night. Wind chills of 10 to 15 below zero. The outlook for Friday, partly cloudy and colder. High of only 18. Back up to 30 on Saturday, 33 on Sunday. Some drizzle and light snow developing on Sunday evening. Uh, that could become heavier snow Sunday night and some locally heavy snow possible on Monday uh, we'll watch that system and track it as it gets a little bit closer. We'll be able to give you a little bit better idea of where the track will mean the heaviest snow is going to fall. Uh, but temperatures next week take a dive. Tuesday, 20 for the high, 16 for the high temperature by Wednesday with partly cloudy skies then. Again, today, Joe, going for a high of around 41. We're currently at 40. And I have the records for the day. Feb 14, Valentine's Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, Ooh, God, that was for Dave. Does not include uh, the show that part. That counts. No, it does. This is Dave's Dave segment. Dave, he was forbidden to use that, and he's done it now about eight times. Wow. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> 50. 50. What, what about 50? Well, that was the record high for this day. Yes, thank what you. What day is that? Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Don't do that to me. <laughs> okay. 50 is the record. 50. And that was in 1882. 1882. Boy, you'd think by Feb 14, we would have had a warmer record high than that. Yeah, that isn't very warm at all. 25 below zero, though. 25 below. In 1875. In 1875. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. All right. Have you followed the story of the uh, dreadful, dreadful people who work for Oxfam? Oxfam. 
A confidence crisis spread through the international aid community <clears throat> yesterday amid accusations that the charity Oxfam yes. had buried reports that its workers had prostituted survivors of the Darfur genocide, a catastrophic earthquake in Haiti, and possibly disasters beyond those. Haitian President Jovenel Moise condemned those involved in the scandal, saying on Twitter that there is nothing more outrageous and dishonest than a sexual predator who uses his position as part of the humanitarian response to a natural disaster to exploit needy people in their moment of greatest vulnerability. His words echoed those of spokeswoman for Theresa May, who this week condemned the horrific behavior within Oxfam as her government opened an official inquiry into the charity and a top executive resigned in shame. Many of the allegations center on one man, Roland Van Hauermuren, who led Oxfam's relief efforts in Chad in the mid-2000s when a genocidal war in neighboring Sudan sent refugees and violence spilling across the border. Things are very, very desperate and are only likely to get worse. People are suffering. They are drinking dirty water and have nothing to mm-hmm. eat, Van Hauermuren said in late 2006 in an Oxfam news release. This is the Washington Post I'm reading from. But, but the latest is that Oxfam workers had rented a villa in Port-au-Prince from which they administered their so-called relief efforts. Uh, mm. The Times of, of London reported that Van Hauermuren and several male workers, a small fraction of more than the 200 Oxfam workers in Haiti, had been accused of turning their guest house into what they allegedly called the whorehouse. These girls wearing Oxfam T-shirts running around half-naked. It was like a full-on Caligula orgy, a source told the London Times. After the report ran, Haiti's ambassador to Britain told The Guardian that the victims may have been underage kids. The Times alleged that Oxfam deliberately limited its investigation in the hope of hiding the scandal. Okay, so I went to Oxfam's site. I've heard of Oxfam all my life. Started in 1942. And- well, they're of the progressive mystery school of uh, charity. They believe, for example, that poverty is an injustice. Uh, no, poverty is a reality. It, 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 it fluctuates, but not, not to the Mysterians at Oxfam. It's uh, you have, if you make money, someone else has poverty. That, that would be Oxfam. And uh, they come up with all their statistics and what have you. And, and uh, their website's very impressive. Uh, here's why I'm bringing this up. We are so short. We're so lacking in ethical clarity in so many areas, aren't we? Mm -hmm. I saw pictures of this place the Oxfam people had secured for themselves in Haiti. I didn't know such a place could still exist in Haiti. You know, a gorgeous place with a gorgeous pool. Right. And, and admittedly, I'm sure not all Oxfam workers were taking part in this horrid behavior. Yeah. But those at the top were. Uh, it would serve them right if they became uh, disbanded. They, they don't deserve your money. 
find another charitable organization that could take over. Below them, below them, on the streets below, there is utter desperation. Uh, oh, easy for me to say, because I'm not there doing right. the, the Lord's work. Bill Stein up in Aiken does occasionally with his dental trips there. Right. But if, if they're wishing to devote themselves to this calling, and God bless them if they are, what are they doing with this magnificent villa away from the away from the devastation and despair and destitution? It not only it would be bad enough if they had that villa for themselves or the top brass or whoever was staying there and turning it into a whorehouse. Bad enough that they had that. Then they compound it by using these young people of Haiti for their own misdeeds. It's, it's incredible to who, me. Who probably were drawn to the, uh, the estate for its beauty and thought, oh, this is going to be a good deal. And then I went, uh-oh, this is what I've got to do. <clears throat> and this isn't some right-wing site haranguing Oxfam. This is the, the Washington Post. And apparently they've engage in this kind of behavior in other devastated areas of the world. Uh, it's Oxfam's problems did, uh, did not end with Van Howard Muren's departure. A former Oxfam investigator told reporters this week that a culture of sexual abuse festered in the organization at least until 2015, according to Reuters. The investigator said reports of a woman coerced into prostituting herself for aid went unheeded by executives, as did allegations of abuse at a charity shop in Britain. Uh, it's, uh, it's, this is by no means the first scandal in the global aid community, which some say is rife with sexual exploitation. Dozens of U.N. peacekeepers get that bleeping building out of my country. Dozens of U.N. peacekeepers were accused of abusing civilians last year, for example, according to Al Jazeera. Uh, but Oxfam, with about a half billion dollars in annual income yeah. from public and private sources, had been renowned worldwide for its relief, relief efforts. So its fall in stature has created an upheaval with world leaders condemning Oxfam's failure and the British government considering whether to defund it. Yes, defund it. Uh, the world will be better off coming up with better ways to help people who need it than these frauds. Just Did you see the picture of the estate? Yes. How, 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 A, how could that exist? I thought Haiti was pretty rough around the edges. How could that edges? exist still in Haiti? And B, why are they there? This guy has seen more urban wildlife than a DNR field agent with a PhD, Joe Suchere. 